Numa Ward Ministries presents to you a prophetic. You can be in a third world country and think first class. You can be in a poor nation and think rich. You can be among broken people and think like you are the mender of people. Because someone greater is in you. Spirit filled. Everything around you has no definition of who you are. The definition of who you are, the definition of your life is in the word of God, not in the things that are around you. Powerful. We are marked for greatness. Tell your neighbor you're marked for greatness. And life transforming teaching by the chariot, Prophet Brian Kajesi. When someone understands the word of God, greatness starts to beckon in their inside. Get ready for your spiritual blessing, transformation, and renewal. So today I want to share in a sermon that I called The Excellency of the Knowledge of Christ. The Excellency of the Knowledge of Christ. Our sermon tonight, I called it The Excellency of the Knowledge of Christ. Hallelujah. So we're going to read from the, 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 the book of Philippians chapter 3 from verse 1 all the way to verse 8. Uh, book of Philippians chapter 1 from verse, chapter 3 from verse 1 to verse 8. If you can get me those verses book of Philippians, chapter 3 from verse 1. The Bible says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Next verse. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. He says we are the true Christian. We are, he says, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. He says they had no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof that he might trust in the flesh, I more. Next verse. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Next verse. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. Next verse. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yet doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Hallelujah. That I may win Christ. Hallelujah. Today, I want to share what we call deep things. I want to share what we call hard sentences. I want to share what we call hard teachings. And why? Because the body of Christ needs to be educated. I want to, I want to share what we call hard things or deep things of God. Because you see, the church of God has not come to a place where it, count it, where it counts it all but loss. The church of Christ has not come to a place 
where it counts it all but dung, that it may win the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Some believers have not gotten to a place where they esteem the excellency of the knowledge of Christ more important than their confidence in the flesh. Now, in the scriptures where we are reading, in the book of Philippians, Paul was writing the church at Philippi. And he, as he was writing, he got to a point where he began to speak to them of certain things. He begins to warn them of certain things. He says, my brethren, it is, not, it is indeed not grievous to me to write to you. He says, beware of dogs. He uses the language dogs. Why should a preacher use such hard language? And I see many people today who say preachers are harsh when they preach. It's not that preachers are harsh, but it is that the message which they want to pass on is a heaven itself. So he says, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Concision are they, he's speaking of they, who, who, who mutilize, who mutilate the flesh. So he says, beware of the concision. Next verse. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in spirit, and rejoice in Christ, and have no confidence in the flesh. He says, we are the Christians. We are the true circumcision. We which worship God in spirit. It's because he had observed that certain men in that church at that particular time were not rejoicing in being born again, but they were rejoicing in being part of Judaism. When, when you go back to the verse where he says, beware of dogs, and, and, and you get amplified version, he says, beware of those dogs, evil workers, and in brackets it says, the Judaists, the, the Judeas, the legalists. He even specifies the people he was talking about. You see, in Israel, there is a religion called Judaism, of people who still want to hold on on the legalities of the book of the law. Now, these Gentiles, Philippians were Gentiles, men who were born sinners. These were worshippers of other gods. When they had preached the gospel to them, instead of focusing on the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they began to want to go in the rituals of the Israelites, thereby putting on like Israelites, obeying the customs of the Israelites, starting to circumcise their children. And Paul was in shock. He says, ye being Gentiles, you received the gospel. How come you're going back to the ways? How, how come you're uh, departing from the ways of Christ and you want to go to the things of the Judaism, the things of the Jews? He speaks of it in, the same, in, the, in, in another book of Galatians, chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 from verse 1. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? That he should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ had been evidently set forth crucified among you. Next verse. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Verse 3. He says, But Christ, are ye so foolish? Having been in the Spirit, are ye now being made perfect in the flesh? He says, For Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He's speaking to the Galatians. He says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Christ has redeemed us. Understand this. He's not just speaking these words that he does not understand. He's speaking these words coming from somewhere. He says, oh foolish Galatians, who is bewitching you? Having started in the spirit, are you going back into the flesh? Wasn't Christ 
fully or evidently set forth before you, crucified among you. He says, I want to know this thing. You started in the spirit. How come you are falling? What was he dealing with the Galatians? Peter had come, the head of the church, to the area of Galatia. And he was eating well with the sinners, with the Gentiles, and they were receiving the gospel. But when the eleven came, who were part of the disciples, when they came and joined Peter, Peter began to withdraw himself from the, from the Gentiles. And he began to want the Gentiles to be circumcised, like the Israelites. And the Bible says, and Paul withstood him and rebuked him openly. And he said, before the brethren came from Jerusalem, you were eating with the sinners. This is chapter 2. Now that they have come, you are turning against the Gentiles. He says, this is hypocritical. These same things you're seeing which were happening in the church at the time when Christ had been ascended are the same things we are seeing today. These are the same things we are seeing today. We are seeing believers whom God has died for. Whom Christ evidently has been set before them. And they have received the grace of God. Wanting to go back to obey things which were not even given to them. One time I was sharing with a believer. And he was telling me that he closes his business on a Sunday. You know, I, I don't want to preach another doctrine. I don't want to bring a new doctrine. But as I was sharing with this guy, so I, I asked him, so how come you close your business on Sunday? What's the reason of closing business on Sunday? And this guy told me he closes on Sunday because Sunday is a holy day. Not a holy day, but a holy day. It's a sanctified day. And I asked him, where do you get your understanding to say that a Sunday is a holy day? To say that a Sunday is a, is a sanctified day. And he just randomly quoted the scriptures and he said that the Bible says keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not Sunday. Study the scriptures. The Sabbath is not Sunday. But you see, this brother is making losses on a Sunday because he thinks that the Sabbath is Sunday. Even though he's too ignorant to know that the Sabbath is not a Sunday, he's also too ignorant to know that the Sabbath was given to the children of Israel and not to the Gentile man. Not to the Gentile man. So I told him, look, I work on Monday and I work on Sunday. So on Sunday I make, I make profit. I don't, close my, I don't close my business. One time they found Jesus. I read it to you here one time in the service. One time, one time they found Jesus and his disciples were eating. They were picking maize and they were eating it on a Sunday. And the, and the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Don't you mind that you're seeing that your disciples are eating corns, ears of corns, on a, on a Sabbath? And Jesus says, do you not know that I am the Lord of the Sabbath? Christ was revealing to them that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. That where Christ is, that's the end of the law. That's what the Bible teaches us. It says Christ is the end of the law of righteousness. In the book of Romans chapter 10 and verse around 4 and 5. It says for Christ is the end of the law of righteousness. What is the law of righteousness? It is why you are observing works. Why are you observing certain things? The Bible says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to every man that believeth. Christ is the end of the law. He is the end. When we come in Christ, we have seen or we have come to the end of the law. There is no more observance of the law. There is no more observance of works. There is no more salvation after works. The salvation of Christ, you cannot define it by works. You simply cannot. You simply cannot. You cannot come to prayer and you say, Oh Lord, you see how I have fasted. God does not accept you by the level of your fasting. Yet fasting is, is, is a symbol of your dedication in the presence of God. 
It's a symbol of dedication, but not a symbol of growth in salvation. So we have believers who have continually remained babies, but they don't realize that they're babies. And Paul says, beware of these dogs. Beware of the concision. Beware of evil workers. Why are they evil workers? They want to work out salvation. They want to work it out. And they quote the scripture in Philippians chapter 2 which says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 2 verse 12. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But they never read verse 13. He says, wherefore my beloved as ye have always obeyed, not only as in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But they miss verse 13. Verse 13 says, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do, his good pleasure. For it is God which worketh in you. So when he tells you to work out your salvation, he's telling you allow God to work in you. Not only to do, but also to will. Meaning that even your will to do what is good, is put by God. So Christians constantly are babies. They remain babies. They are unable to grow from one level to another. Why? Because they don't understand what is the work of God. They are doing the work of the Holy Spirit. They are convicting others of sin. They are judging the passing judgment of others. They are qualifying others and disqualifying others. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 14 verse 6. It says... Only to, a man's, only to a man's master does he stand or fall. He says, He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he does regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth not thanks. There is a verse there, is it five? He was speaking about holy days, better days. And he began to speak to them, telling them, that only to a man's master does he fall or stand. So you cannot judge a man because of what he eats. Verse 4. He says, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master does he stand or fall? Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. God is able to make him stand. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? So we have Christians today who like in the days of Paul in the days of Peter in the days of the first church are judging other men's servants we are servants of Christ you are a servant of Christ but there are men who have taken it up on themselves to judge other men's servants he says to his own master standeth he or falleth and he says he's able to hold him up he is able God is able to hold him up and that's what the Bible asks a question what have you received what do you have that you did not receive Yes, a question. What do you have that you have not received? That you should boast. There is nothing that you have that you have not received. We have seen in Philippians, the Bible says, For it is him who, is, who does both to will and to do. He is the one that puts the will. Even when you wake up and say, Next week I will fast, that will was put by God. When you wake up and say, I'm going to abandon sin, that will to abandon your sin, it is put by God, it's not put by you. That's why the Bible says, No man by the Spirit of God saith Jesus be accursed. No man by the Spirit can say Jesus be accursed. Why? Because only the Spirit of God can cause a man to claim God. To claim God. That's what the Bible says, Do not be quick with your mouth to judge. But give time 
that God may work judgment. He says, do not be quick to judge issues before their time. But give God time to bring judgment in the day of Christ. He says, don't be quick to judge. Don't be quick to judge a matter. But in the day of Christ, God will bring that matter to accomplishment. Hallelujah. I don't know if I'm speaking to someone. So there is a matter that I want to explain. There is a matter that I want to explain. So Paul says, goes down to say, Beware of concision. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. For they mutilate the flesh. They mutilate the flesh. They kill the flesh. Amplified. Verse 2. Amplified. Look out for the, uh, the Judeas. The legalists. Look out for those mischief makers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. They mutilate the flesh. So what mutilate means? They, 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 they sacrifice the flesh. They pun punish the flesh. He says, but we are the true circumcision. We are the true sons of God. Go to verse 3, amplified version. For we are Christians. For we Christians are the true circumcision. Who worship God in spirit and by the spirit of God. And exalt and glory and pride ourselves in Jesus Christ. And put no confidence or depend on dependence on what we are in the flesh. Or on the outward privileges. And physical advantages and external appearances. He speaks of physical advantages, external appearances. He says, A Christian, a true Christian, a true man who has been circumcised by the Spirit, does not put confidence in things that are external, does not put confidence in things that are physical, does not put confidence in things of the flesh. His confidence is in God. He says, we who are Christians, we who are the true Christians, are those who do not pride in the outward. And he says, and if anyone should pride on the outward, I have more. He says, I am a Jew. I, I come from Israel. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, concerning the law, he says, of time Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, touching the law, a Pharisee. When it comes to zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness in the law, blameless. Now, you, you see, there are people we have tried to explain and say, if we were to go in the flesh and begin to boast of things in the flesh, some of us have more to boast of. You see, some people don't understand this. That if we were to preach the gospel of the flesh, if we were to preach a fleshly gospel, we have some things to, we have some things to boast of. We have things to boast of. We excelled in our studies. We were obedient at home. We have money. We have businesses. Our families are standing. Everything we touch is working. If we are to speak of physical things, we have something to bring. Which some of you don't have. We have broken records. There are some of you, even in your class, you have never been number one. In your school, you never became a prefect. You have never won any medal. There is nothing to your name. And yet you still want to preach the gospel of physical advantages. You have never even obeyed your parents. You are a rascal boy. All your life you are, you are boozed. There are people who have not touched booze in their life. They have not touched the bottle in their life. If we speak of the gospel of physical advantages, we have some things to boast of. But then yet you find some people who still want to boast of such things. Christ did not come to die of people who have physical advantages. Christ didn't come to die for your physical advantages. 
Christ came to die for the sick, those that needed him. That's why a man like Paul, who was blameless touching the law, tells you that whatever was to my profit, whatever I had counted worthy, I have now counted this as a loss. I want you to understand me carefully. The things I want to teach you to understand. If it is physical advantages, let me tell you, some people were born with a silver spoon in their mouth. The gospel of physical advantages is a wrong gospel. Just because you are able to go and make 20,000 in a month, does not mean that you, you stand a better place than someone who made losses. No, you don't stand any advantage. Those things don't hold value when it comes to God. We cannot be teaching things that parade men as perfect. We got to teach the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That he died for all that we might attain the perfection which is of God. Not the perfection of physical advantages. So he says, but what things were gained to me? Those I have counted as loss. For Christ. He didn't count them as loss for nothing. I saw boys who are preaching the gospel of physical advantages. They don't even have a degree on their head. They have never sat in a course, a serious course and excelled. There are people watching me here. And they were my classmates. And they used to come to consult me in class. Some of them used to call me encyclopedia. All the slides were in my head. Especially math, physics, things I had to do with science. Yet I would teach them the gospel. But I see boys who teach physical advantages. And even in the world, they don't hold any physical advantage. But I'm telling you, with our great grades, we left them in the world and came to preach the gospel. So when we stand to preach the gospel, it's not like we are fools. If we come in the world, we are able to excel above the guys of the world. Above the guys of the world. But we counted it as loss that we might attain the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. The excellency of the knowledge of Christ. He says, yet doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but dung. That I may win Christ. He says that he wanted to win Christ. Let me tell you something. There are things you will never attain in this life until you abandon certain things. You will never win Christ if you're still holding on physical advantages. Christ will never fully settle in your heart until you realize that your spirit, your life needs Christ. Paul was teaching the church, telling them, look, we have some things to boast about, but we cannot use them. We cannot use them. We got, to, we got to focus on God. We got to focus on Christ. He must do something in us. And then he goes on to say that I may attain. I count them all lost for the excellency of the knowledge. The knowledge of Christ is not just knowledge. It has an excellency to it. That word excellency means the absolute state of perfection of any idea or understanding. Absolute. The absolute attainment of knowledge. Meaning that if you say you know something, the, the totality of that knowledge is what we call excellency. That's why certain men are called His Excellency. Why? Because He holds the, the biggest office in the land. He holds the biggest power in the land. So you, there is no way to describe a man who has, who has been preferred above all other people other than His Excellency. Now He says well, there were things He had that were good. But he abandoned them to attain the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. He wasn't just running for the knowledge of Christ. He wanted the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. So he suffered loss for all these things. But there are people who come in Christ 
And they just want the knowledge of Christ. They just want to know God. They just want to know if I can just know. Knowledge is good, but knowledge is not everything. Knowledge is not everything. He says, to, for the excellency, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Continue the next verse. Next verse. He says, and to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Next verse. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Now, he's speaking of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. He says, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ is to know him, number one. To know the power of his resurrection. To know the fellowship of his sufferings. To be conformable unto his death. He says he wanted to know God. Until he begins to understand the power of his resurrection. How did Christ resurrect from the dead? Think about this. Many of you are watching me today. You don't know the day you're going to die. You don't even know how it will happen. You don't know the circumstances under which it will happen. So somebody will be proud and big until we discuss death. Every time we talk about death, you see a silence. They don't know how it's going to be. So Paul says, when I began to search the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, I discovered that Christ had the power of resurrection. He had the power of death. So he says, I want to be conformable into his death. I want to be like him and conform to his death so that I may understand how he resurrected. And remember Jesus, he says, no man can take my life. I lay down my life and I pick it up again. He says nobody can touch his life. He lays it down. That's why he's called the Lamb of God. Because he lays down his life. So Christ did not only have the power to lay down his life, but he had the power to pick it up again. And Paul says this is called the excellency of the knowledge. It's the excellency of the knowledge. Now think with me. The church hasn't even gone into a place where it is understanding the knowledge. That's basics, the knowledge of Christ. The church is not even yet fathomed the knowledge of Christ. Because the Bible says that the wisdom of God is far above the earth, is, is far above the wisdom of man. As the earth is far from the, from, from the heavens. And it says, the foolishness of God is wiser than the, the wisdom of men. That's what the Bible says. The foolishness of God. In the, in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, it says the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. His weakness greater than the power, the power of man. And he says, and you must understand, we have not even searched out all the knowledge of Christ. Much less the excellency of the knowledge. Much less the excellency. No wonder Paul says, how be to the mature we speak wisdom, not the wisdom of this age. Look at 25, Corinthians 1, 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God stronger than men. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The foolishness. When God is foolish, he's wiser than men. And one time God was foolish. I will show you how he was foolish. The Bible says, For in the foolishness of God, he sent Christ to die. <laughs> because he says, For the wise men of this world did not perceive him. For had they known the wisdom of God, they would have not crucified him. Meaning God at that particular time, he was foolish when he sent his son in the world. But even they could not perceive, they couldn't perceive his foolishness. That's why he says he chose the lowly. He went to Jerusalem, got a poor virgin, 
and used the poor virgin to give birth to Christ. And Christ grew up normal, not in the palace, using the foolishness of God to confound the wisdom of man. But we are not even at a level where we have fathomed the knowledge of God. Think about it, church. Think about it. We are not at a level where we have understood the knowledge of God. The entire knowledge of God. We haven't gotten the entire knowledge. We haven't understood. Why did Christ come in flesh? Why did he enter flesh? That's why he says beyond all controversy. Meaning there is a controversy. Beyond all controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. Beyond all controversy. Beyond question. Some versions say beyond question. Great is the mystery of godliness. Meaning there are people who without knowing God have questions about the godliness, the mystery of godliness. And he says this is a mystery of godliness. That God was manifest in flesh. We have not gone past that level of understanding how God was manifest in the flesh. But we are busy parading our physical advantages. Because you have not done a wrong thing. Because you have not sinned in two months. You feel so holy. You feel so holy. That you can judge another man. Because you haven't sinned for two months. You haven't even understood how Christ was manifest in the flesh. You don't even know the mystery of godliness. You don't know what happened when Christ was coming in the flesh. You don't know what happened. You don't know how God was thinking. You don't know what was in God's mind. You don't know God's mind. That's why it says, who knows God's mind that he may instruct him. Yet he says, concerning my word you may instruct me. In the book of Isaiah. The Bible says and Moses stood before God and, and told him to repent of his, of his anger. And the Bible says and God repented of his anger and did not destroy the children of Israel. You haven't understood how Moses caused God to repent of his anger. You have not understood it. You're celebrating because you're no longer stealing. I'm still at the level of knowledge. I haven't started touching the excellency of the knowledge. The knowledge of God. What is the knowledge of God? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, I think around there. He says, and to know him, to know his love that surpasses all knowledge. He says to know him, to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, passes understanding. And to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, that he might be filled with all the fullness of God. Next verse. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Do you see what he's saying? He says, when you know the love of Christ that passes all understanding, that passes all knowledge, and you are filled with all the fullness, then you will know that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think according to his power which worketh in you. You haven't understood the power that works in you. You're celebrating. <laughs> You're celebrating. You're celebrating because you haven't lied in a year. Continue celebrating. Continue. Continue. You continue celebrating. One day you will wake up. And those same things you are celebrating, you will realize. There were people. You know, because they celebrate. You know, God has been faithful. It is not God. Sometimes overcoming those things does not need the Holy Spirit. It just needs wisdom. And discipline. There are people who overcome sin without the help of the Holy Spirit. It's discipline. They're in the world there. So one day you will wake up and realize, hey, there were people who were not sinning and they did not know God and they were not sinning. Yet they will burn in hell. 
Sin in the equation of God, in the equation of salvation, is the smallest thing. Sin in the equation of God is the smallest thing. And if Christians can learn this, they will be liberated. That you can wake up one and say, I'm no longer sinning. And you don't even need to make a prayer about it, you just need to make a decision about it. Then you will come up hither and begin to understand the knowledge of God. And you begin to know the love of God that passes understanding, that passes knowledge. And when you know that love, the Bible says, and now you will know unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. Everyone who meets God at that level, they begin to realize God is able to do anything, 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 anything. This is why I tell people, when you come and tell me that there is something I cannot do, when you come and tell a Christian there is something he cannot do, something he, ca he cannot afford to do, a level he cannot reach, an achievement he cannot achieve, we always tell people, it is impossible to have Christ and fail. It is impossible to know God and fail. It is impossible. This is what Paul was trying to reveal to the church. He's telling them, all things that I had, I count as loss. That I may attain the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. And he says, to know him and the power of his resurrection. To be conformable unto his death. He says, if I can understand these things. He spent his life saying, if I can understand these things. Then I'll say I'm a Christian. So, you can sit for two hours. And you're just thinking about the power of God. The power that resurrected Christ from the dead. How did Christ die? How did he permit himself to die? Think about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 20. 21 or 23? 20. 21. 21. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Look at this verse. He says, <clears throat> I want to show you, those who waste your time giving funny testimonies. He says, For he has made him to be seen for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. You see some of you just quote the verses. For he hath made him, meaning God made Christ sin. He did not sin. God made him sin for us. Who knew no sin? That we might be made the righteousness of God. Have you ever thought how God, the power of God that turns Christ into a sinner? Have you ever known that power that can make a sinless man sinful? Actually, not sinful. Sin. Christ became the sin. So when Christ was on the cross, God hated him because God hates sin. And after he died and resurrected, he conquered sin. And God tells you that that is salvation. God says that is salvation. Now to you, it is foolishness. Why? Because you don't have the wisdom of God. You're ignorant when it comes to the things of God. You don't understand that as simple as it sounds, it's as simple as it is to be born again. You don't understand as simple as it looks, it is as simple as it is to be delivered from the power of sin. So what do you do? You seek every prayer mountain in the country. Wherever you hear there is a mountain, some of you have been on mountains for two years and you have never changed. You still lie the same way. You still fail the same way. You still afraid the same way. Until you sit down and understand the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. The excellence of the knowledge of Christ. This is how we begin to do certain things that now begin to confuse people. Before they used to say pastor's kids were spoiled. 
Now pastors' kids are preaching exactly like their fathers. Now it's a problem. It's a family franchise. But, but before you were saying pastors' kids were spoiled. Now you're saying we are building franchises. It means that preachers at a certain point say, but this is wrong. Why should our children continue to fail? And someone, a certain, a certain preacher, went and found the wisdom that causes your children to obey the gospel. And now our children are obeying the gospel. Our children are preaching the way we are preaching. Our children are understanding God the way we understood Him. Even when they did not have to have certain experiences. Why? Because men have sat in God and got that wisdom. This is the wisdom we, have, we should be talking about. Now preachers are rich. Now it is a problem. Why? Because preachers sat down and said it is wrong for a man of God to be poor. And they got wisdom from the presence of God on how to make money. And someone says, oh, they steal from people. Continue thinking like that. Continue. Continue and you will continue to be poor. You see, there are things that you can sit down and understand. Paul said, I refuse to take any man's money. That nobody should take away my boasting. He says, when I was with you, you know that I made tents with my own hands. That I may feed myself. That's why I always told, I've always said this thing in my church. I said, if anyone feeds me in this church, let him come and stop me to preach the gospel I preach. This is why we don't receive people's money. That nobody should change our gospel. But if you pay me salary, you will change my gospel. I know churches where when a pastor preaches a thing and certain men in the church don't like it, they will tell him, stop preaching that gospel. Change it. But you cannot stop me from preaching the gospel. Why? Because you don't feed me. So, men have sat in God and have begun to understand wisdom. The excellency of the wisdom of God. Now the church is envied by secular people. <laughs> Hallelujah. Why? Children of God have gotten wisdom. Some of you Christians, you're still here. Sister so-and-so has stolen this. Sister so-and-so has done this. Brother so-and-so has done this. There is a guy who's working on a project. He's not even a believer. He's working on a project to do intercontinental travel. For you, you're still buying cars for taxis. A man is working on taxis for intercontinental taking you to Mars and back, taking you to, to another planet and back. A Christian is seated. He's in brother so-and-so has stolen. Inquiries, church inquiry. <laughs> oh, thank you Lord Jesus for your power. Why, don't, why, why doesn't God help you? He says that I may know him. Paul says that I may know him. That I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And the power of his resurrection. That I may know him. That I may know him. And the fellowship of his suffering. Being made conformable unto his death. He wants to be conformable unto the death of Christ. Powerful thing there. Maybe one time I'll teach you about those particular individual things. And you know what it means to know the power of his resurrection. This is why when you find men who know God. They may stand and talk for eight hours. They are talking for eight hours. Why? Because they know God. They just cannot live. But I know guys like some of you who are bored on, on, on the issues of the gospel. How can you be bored with this Bible full of all these works? They are still in stories. A pastor should be so and so. A pastor should be... Do you know the standards of what the law is giving concerning the standard of a priest? Can you get me Leviticus 21 from verse 17? Let me show these people something. Do you know the standards which were for a priest? A priest who has to stand before God. Do you know the standards they had? Give me a simpler version like NLT. Because I want them to understand. In the beginning from verse 1, he talks about uh, 
how a priest should marry. He talks about the, how they should marry. But then in verse 17, he begins to show the instructions of the priests which today should be pastors. He says, give the following instructions to Aaron. <clears throat> in all future generations, none of your descendants who has had any defect will qualify to offer food to his God. <laughs> This was a standard of God by the law. You were not to be a priest if you had a defect. Next verse. No one who has a defect qualifies whether he is blind, lame, disfigured, disformed. Next verse. Or has a broken foot or arm. Uh-huh. Or has a hunched a hunched back or dwarfed. Short people are not supposed to become pastors. You short pastors who are preaching today and you're preaching physical advantages. Have you read the Bible? Dwarf pastors and you're preaching physical advantages. Or has a defect of the eye. There are pastors who put on glasses. Why you put on glasses? And when you go to hospital they tell you you are short-sighted. It's a defect. Why are you still preaching physical advantages? Or a skin sores or moles or damaged I won't go to read that one next verse. You have seen yourselves. No descendant of Aaron who has a defect may approach the altar to present special gifts to God since he has a defect. He may not approach the altar to offer food for his God. Next verse. However, he may eat from the food offered to God, including the holy offerings and the most holy offerings. Next verse. Yet because of his physical defect, he may not enter into the room behind the inner curtain to approach the altar. For his for he would defile the holy places and he goes on and on and on and on and on. You who are preaching physical advantages because you have spent a full year without going back to the club without singing a secular song now you feel holier than thou that's not holiness listen to me that's not holiness that you have walked away from the acts that lead to death does not mean that you are holy holiness is if the word of god washes you itself he says you are holy you are sanctified by the words which i have spoken unto you only the word of god can make a man holy only the word of god And how does the word of God function in a man? He says you receive it by faith. Not by works, by faith. By faith. By faith. You're having funny conversations. Funny conversations. Every time you meet, you're talking about people. I love the statement where someone say small minds discuss people. Every time you sit, you're discussing people. You have never discussed an issue that has changed your generation. You have never done anything that has ever changed your generation. And now suddenly men of God have become like this. Every time words 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 you're talking about whatever is happening. This is why you see in our sermons you'll never hear us talking about the current affairs. Because the current affairs of today will be history of tomorrow. They'll be history of tomorrow. And some history is no history at all. Go and study the meaning of the word history. It is a story of men who have shaped the world. Shaped 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 am i communicating with someone he says that i may know him and the power of his resurrection and be conformed into his death unto his death that i may know him that's what we call the excellency of the knowledge of christ to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings that's what we must know that's what you must know sit in your house with the people talk about christ how Christ came 
how he became sin, how he walked on earth, how he saved man, how he has given us this power by which we might be partakers of the divine nature. What does it mean to be a partaker of the divine nature? What does it really mean to be a partaker of the divine nature? These are the things you should be talking about. What does it mean for a child of God to be a partaker of the divine nature? Do you understand divine things? Do you understand what we call the divine? Do you understand what we call nature? So when he says you are a partaker of the divine nature, it means that you are now you have now you now you now have a nature that cannot be corrupted. It cannot be corrupted. That's why he goes on to tell you, for we have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. These are the things that a Christian should be talking about. This is the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. Not who she said, he said, who said, he said. Lift up your hands wherever you are. Let's pray. Father, thank you. For everyone who's watching me, I pray tonight that you will give them the ability to fathom the greater things of salvation the bigger things about salvation the most excellent things about salvation Lord I pray that you will put in them a desire as your scripture has said that it is you who is working in us both to will and to do according to your good pleasure Lord I pray that according to your good pleasure you shall impart in us a willingness a will to do your will a willingness to do what you require us to do. Lord, I pray that everyone who has been watching me and is sick, is tormented, and is afraid, and is blind, that he doesn't see where he's going, I pray that you will open them. I pray that you will increase them. In Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. And God bless you. Stay connected to the chariot. Prophet Brian Kajesi via the Prophet Brian Kajesi page on Facebook, the Numa app on the Play Store, and Numa Channel TV on YouTube for more insightful teachings. For more information, visit our website at www.prophetbriankajesi.org or contact us on plus 256-700-785-882 or plus 256-774-784. 5, 6, 5, 8, 9, 4.